Hey, during my first year's teaching, I wanted to quit every day. The only people less enthusiastic about what I was teaching were my students. So I decided to teach more high-interest short stories. I figured, what's the worst? The worst that could happen was they still don't like it, but at least I'm reading something I enjoy. That's why I started teaching science fiction. And let me tell you, science fiction isn't just for nerds. Most DLA teachers feel like they don't have enough time to get everything done that they need to get done. That's why everything we do here at the Teaching ELA podcast is designed to help you leave on time today and still have a great lesson tomorrow. In this podcast, I discuss real teaching for real classrooms. Whether it's a specific piece of literature, teaching strategy, or life strategy, I talk about things ELA teachers need. I promise that with each podcast episode, you'll have something you can use today. In today's episode of the Teaching ELA podcast, I discuss science fiction short stories for middle school and high school. They include the fun they had, all summer in a day, examination day, they're made out of meat, Harrison Bergeron, there will come soft rains, the machine that won the war, the machine stops, and whatever else comes to mind. I've got an emergency lesson plan you can get on the board right now. And the one thing you can teach with any of these stories is in the show title. Hello. See elements of science fiction. By teaching students to analyze the elements of science fiction, you'll be hitting standards that involve theme, characterization, setting, and all those other things we discuss when we get all literary up in this mug. Class is about to start and you need something right now. So here's the one thing you can put on the board right now so when the students come in, you'll be ready to roll. All lesson plans we discuss in this podcast can be found at ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com. Let's get crack a lock and I can cite textual evidence to support analysis of science fiction and make sense of my world. That's the objective. Just throw that make sense of my world thing in there. It'll make, make everyone feel as though they're making connections, which is the point of science fiction. So if you listen to the podcast episode 8, Teaching Fun with the Fun They Had, you've done this lesson before, but don't worry. You can do it again, because ultimately what makes science fiction great is that it takes something that's futuristic and it presents it in a way that we, the reader, can connect with. So even though the story might take place in space or the story might take place 100 years in the future, there's something in there that seems real to us, and that's what makes science fiction great. So we're going to teach science fiction. We're going to show students that, hey, just because this is taking place on Venus 200 years from now doesn't mean you can't relate to it. This lesson plan is simple. One, write the objective on the board. Write the title of the story and draw a two-column chart. Simple enough. You could just draw a line down the middle of the board. I mean, if you like have 30 seconds, draw a line down the middle of the board. In the left column, students will write spe specific examples from the story. So they come in. You have this line in the middle of your board. On the left side, you have you can write specific examples from the story. In the on the right side, you can put up there relate the example to something in your own life, or you can just say make a connection. Let's do this: left column, specific example from the story; right column, connection in your life. And above that, you might want to write the name of the short story. Throw an objective up there to keep you focused, or in case an administrator walks in. So make two columns chart. Step one: make a two column chart on the board. Two, 
read whatever short story you had in mind. Uh, if you listen to the fun they had episode, you could choose the fun they had because it talks about school and remote learning and all that. But it could be any of these stories we talk about. Fill out the chart as you read. Or, or now you'll probably want students to copy this chart on their own paper, which should be easy because it'll just take one line. Or you can just say, take out a slice of paper and fold it in half. Boom, they're ready. And then after the charts fit out, they can discuss or they can write. It's that simple. 53 minute lesson, we just did it in like, this was less than two minutes. Again, don't forget to write your lesson objective on the board to help you and your students focus on what it is that we want them to be doing. And it's also nice, again, as I said, in case admin walks in. Let's talk about some, we're going to begin with science fiction short stories for middle school. And just because I say they're for middle school, doesn't mean you can't teach them in high school. Now, uh, again, we've already mentioned the fun they've had. I have an entire podcast episode dedicated to this story. I thought it was timely, being that the kids and the fun they had are in the future, and they're doing uh, a form of remote learning. They don't go to school with actual teachers in an actual building. So if you are uh, interested in the fun they had, go back to episode eight. You'll love it. We have All Summer in a Day by Ray Bradbury. Now, it always rains on Venus. Anyone who watches the Weather Channel knows. And I've been watching the Weather Channel a lot this week because there's a tropical storm coming. But it always rains on Venus. Every seven years, the sun comes out for an hour or two. Did you hear that? Every seven years, the sun comes out for an hour or two. Everything shuts down. Everyone goes, it's kind of like maybe Oregon in the winter. I don't know. I've never been to, I've been to Oregon, but it didn't rain now that I think about it. So whatever place you want to make fun of, that rains a lot. You can do it with this story. So every seven years, sun comes out for an hour or two. And today is the day. We're lucky. The day we happen to be reading the short story all summer today is the day the sun comes out. The children are skeptical about whether this is... You can imagine if it's rained every day for six years and 364 days and 12 hours, you might be a little skeptical that the sun is actually going to come out. So all the children are skeptical, except Margo. Margo's the outsider. Margo's not skeptical. And of course, because Margo thinks differently than the rest of the class, everyone hates her and shuns her and is mean to her. In fact, the, the kids are already sick of Margo. Poor Margo. So here's what they do. They lock her in a closet. There might be uh, students in your class that the other kids want to lock in a closet. I'm going to recommend they not do that. In fact, if you want to keep your job, don't ever lock a, anyone in a closet in your classroom. Well, these kids locked Margo in a class. Apparently, the, teachers, the teacher had something more important to do than supervise her class. So she leaves, and the kids lock Margo in a closet. The teacher comes back in the room and leads the class outside to enjoy the sun, the, the couple hours of sun they get every seven years. And, uh, of course, detail, I uh, guess you didn't take attendance. This is why you need to take attendance when you're at the fire drill, because they locked Margo in a closet, and they forgot about it. And now they're all outside, and guess where Margo is? back in the closet in the room missing out on all the fun so again this is just one more reminder when you have a fire drill take attendance because you never know you never know which students your class is locked up in a closet they enjoy the sun they get back and afterwards you're like oh bleep we forgot about margo so what's interesting about this story is obviously margo's yeah you feel for margo but the kids believe it or not Believe it or not, middle school kids have feelings. I know. I didn't know either. I didn't know either. But they have, well, I guess we did know they have feelings, but usually those feelings are so overly dramatic that we just kind of ignore them. The reaction from the kids who did this is uh, 
Interesting. I think interesting. I think they, they realize uh, we really messed this one up. So anyone who's ever missed out on something or has been treated like an outsider can relate to Margot. And anyone who's done something kind of mean and later felt bad about it could also relate. So it's a good short story again for teaching empathy. We talk about empathy a lot in our recent podcast. I am I am getting so in touch with my empath- empathic side. The Velt. I don't usually like to follow up to, to do two short consecutive short stories by the same authors. I like to keep things varietyed. I don't think that's a word, but uh, but Ray Bradbury is such an icon in short stories, science fiction short stories. You got to have at least two. And the Velt here in the Velt. We have another, we have a podcast episode dedicated to the Velt. So go listen to that if you want to know more. In the Velt, basically, we have indulgent parents. We have kids who can't get enough of technology. They're kind of bratty. And we have lions. I'm guessing you deal with two of those three things in your classroom. The uh, lions, unless you're teaching in Africa, you probably don't have that. I don't have any lions in my classroom. They're made out of meat by Terry Bisson. This story is primarily dialogue between two aliens discussing whether to interact with humans. As with most stories involving aliens discussing how to interact with humans, there's some irony involved. The aliens see humans from a completely different perspective than humans see humans. And if it's, a, you know, if it's aliens in a spaceship, obviously they're an advanced race because they've mastered space travel. And they have a different perspective on humans. Again, when we take a broader look at our lives and we see, what exactly am I getting all worked up about? Eh, sometimes we feel like these aliens. We have Examination Day by Henry Slesser. Speaking of bratty kids, I just had to go yell at mine. <laughs> That's exciting. I'm, brand- I'm keeping it real here. Keeping it real. Examination Day. Now, you probably have students who suffer from test anxiety, so they could relate to this dystopian tale about a 12-year-old who's nervous about a government-mandated intelligence exam he has to take. Huh. Government overreaching its authority and mandating things? Hmm, doesn't sound like anything relevant today now, does it? Guess we better not talk about that. All right, let's go. Let's switch from middle school to high school. Now, again, with these short, uh, science fiction short stories for high school, could you use them in middle school? Of course. They work. Multiple levels of students. In fact, a lot of the stories taught in high school now were taught in middle school when I attended, but that's another completely different subject. All right, look at science, or look at uh, science fiction short stories for high school. Let's start with Harrison Bergeron by Kurt Vonnegut. I know you don't care, but Kurt Vonnegut's probably my favorite author. There you go. I said it. Hey, it's my podcast. If I want to tell you who my favorite author is, I will. <laughs> Why don't you put down who your favorite author is? I think I have... Con- can, you, can you comment on podcasts? See, I'm new at podcasting. Been teaching for starting year 22 here, but I'm pretty sure you can comment on podcasts. If so, tell me who your favorite author is. In uh, Harrison Bergeron, the year is 2081. Everyone is finally equal, thanks to the 211th, 212th, and 213th Amendments to the United States Constitution. George and Hazel are watching TV, unable to think about their son Harrison being taken away. Hazel because she's stupid, and George because he has a transmitter in his ear that plays loud noises to disrupt his thinking. Picture of Harrison Bergeron appears on the screen. He has escaped from prison. Harrison Bergeron happens to be the son of George and Hazel. This sto- in this story, the the pretty much the cancel culture has been taken to a new level because everyone needs to be equal. In order to make everyone equal, you need to handicap those who are better. We're gonna go back to Ray Bradbury because he is perhaps the greatest science fiction writer of the 20th century. It's 2026, and everyone is dead. That's only like five years from now. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. All that's left are four silhouettes on the outside wall of a house. 
Oh, and uh, the, the house still carries on as if nothing happened. It's one of those super-duper technology houses. House performs its functions wonderfully until a tree crashes through a window and starts a fire. So we have a uh, the classic science fiction, environmental disaster, science fiction kind of story, over-reliance on technology. The theme is uh, really our ultimate insignificance. All the humans are dead and none of the animals seem to care. Let's go with another Bradbury. Again, I said he's the greatest science fiction writer of the 20th century, so we can go another for high school. A Sound of Thunder. Time Safari, Inc. offers safaris to any year in the past. You name the animal, we take you there, you shoot it. That's the tagline of the business. It's great, great marketing, by the way. It is great marketing. It passes the grunt test, doesn't it? What problem? I don't know. Does it solve a problem? I guess if you're a hunter, you don't have dinosaurs to hunt. Anyhow, a man named Meckle shows up with a $10,000 check so he can go back in time and hunt dinosaurs. You know, you have a $10,000 check, people will take you almost anywhere, right? A man named Meckle shows up with this check. He wants to go back in time, hunt T-Rexes. They travel back. You can't just go back in time without some instructions, right? So Eccles has like, there's like one thing he needs to remember, and that's not to go off the path. Because doing so would cause immense changes in the future. Now, if you've ever read a story, which I know you have because you're an ELA teacher, and if you're not an ELA teacher, why are you listening to this? <laughs> but if but if you're not an ELA teacher and you're listening to this, great. I hope you enjoy it. Tell all your ELA teacher friends they should listen to it, too. He's been warned not to step off the path about 100 times, which we all know means he's about to step off the path, right? In which he does. And uh, anyone who's ever bitten off a little more than he or she can chew can relate to this one. Especially kids. They think, I can do this. Ah. Oh. I can drive, I can take my parents' car and drive it. No one, no, what, what bad could happen? Never done that, though. All right, we're going to go from, we're going to transition from the greatest science fiction writer of the 20th century to perhaps the greatest science fiction writer of the 19th century with Rappuccini's Daughter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. We discussed this story in a recent episode. Basically, Rappuccini has a daughter. He's trying to, uh, doing some experiments on her with his poison herbs and, uh, any short story that has a beautiful girl in a garden, obviously there's going to be a stalker or a young gentleman who moves in across the street and spies on her. The Machine, speaking of great science fiction writers of the 20th century, our next story is The Machine That Won the War by Isaac Asimov. We discussed this briefly in our Teaching Irony podcast episode. I recommend this story with all my heart. My mind is story. I love this story. It's short. I mean, it's like super short. It's about a machine, as the title's thing. It's about a machine that, well, the machine that won the war. But the machine everyone thinks won the war isn't actually the same machine that helps determine the outcome of the war. In fact, it's the same machine used to determine the outcome of professional football games that go into overtime. <laughs> sometimes return to simplicity and minimalism holds the key to success. And sometimes we just survive on dumb luck. And I know a lot of you have kids. I have five kids. They've all successfully made it to the age of 10, at least 10. My youngest is 10. But I look back and there are a few incidents where dumb luck played a role. Disaster was narrowly averted. Like the time I was playing volleyball in the swimming pool with my wife. And we had this great rally going. I mean, it was fantastic. I, I don't even know. Why am I telling this in a podcast? Anyhow, I've started the story. I got to finish it. I guess I could edit it out, but I'm not going to. This is this is a horrific story I think of. We had this great rally going. I turn around and I see my daughter's feet. She had turned upside down in a little floaty thing. So there she was. I won the point, by the way. I, I turn around and there she is floating upside down in a little inner tube. Now I turned into Michael Phelps and I got over there in about 0. 0.000023 seconds. 
she had really probably been under the water for about two seconds. But as a new parent, I was freaking out. And I realized that was kind of dumb luck. Something bad could have really happened there. And uh, when we read the machine that won, won the war, you're like, wow, he just, he just connected a science fiction story set hundreds of years in the future to a pool volleyball game. This guy's a genius. Sometimes a little dumb luck goes a long way. So uh, I heroically saved my daughter after endangering her by playing pool volleyball and not supervising her as I should. So what's the lesson we learned in today's podcast? If you're going to play pool volleyball with your spouse, make sure you don't have your one-year-old daughter in a floaty nearby. Glad I could help. Public service announcement from the Teaching ELA podcast. Speaking of machines, we go from the machine that won the war to the machine stops by E.M. Forster. I never knew E.M. Forster wrote science fiction. I'll be honest with you. I came across this story like three or four days ago, and I'm like, oh, this is really good. So I thought I'd throw it into this podcast. I don't have a single lesson plan for it, but it's a good. It was a good story. It's one of those short stories that completely blows your mind with this ability to predict the future. So you have right, a world ruled by a machine that indulges humans with convenience, but leaves them starved of human interaction. And I'm like, oh wow, I think that's relevant. Are we not all ruled a little bit by machines? Maybe the one in your pocket, the one in my pocket, especially teenagers. And are we not, and does this not starve them of human interaction? Discuss. I, I got really dramatic there. I got really quiet in my studio. When I say my studio, I mean my bedroom. Raining outside. The one thing we're obviously going to teach is the elements of science fiction. So engaging students in the learning process is one of the most important aspects of effective teaching. Teaching science fiction stories that engage a high percentage of high school and middle school students can be done with science fiction. This short story lesson plan will get them not only involved in the interestingness of the story, but it'll get them to think deeper. And it's called the Elements of Science Fiction Lesson Plan. So how deep you go into these elements depends on the story and the class. Here are the, I'm going to just review quickly. And again, there's a, as you probably guessed, if you go to the show notes, this lesson plan is in there. Just download it. It's free. Here are the main characteristics of science. So you have altered, alternative world setting. Could be outer space. Could be in the future. Could be on Earth, but in a different Earth. That's very Flash-esque. Non-human characters. Aliens are the most famous science fiction characters. Other non-human characters include robots, monsters, and of course, robot monsters. Science fiction has a lot of allegory and symbolism. Although set in other worlds with non-human characters, science fiction stories comment on events and problems in modern times through allegory and symbolism. This is the kind of the point I was trying to make with the two-minute emergency uh, lesson plan at the start here, that science fiction stories comment on events and problems in our, in our day. It's not just about some crazy story in the future. That's why we can make connections with it. Science and technology does, the name implies, science fiction. You got a technology, science and technology play a critical role in these stories. Many of these stories exist to comment on science and technology and its role in shaping society. Machine, the machine stops, comments on the role science and technology plays. Bradbury stories, the Velt, uh, if, you, if you read his novel Fahrenheit 451, the role science and technology plays in shaping society. Journey, as with most fiction, science fiction involves a journey. Unlike most fiction, this journey involves long voyages to alien worlds and fantastic places. So this, this could be kind of a, an actual journey, or of course, and of course, the metaphorical journey, the hero's journey. My favorite type of science fiction would be dystopian 
science fiction. So science fiction settings may combine an alternative world with negative elements to come in a modern society. We already talked about that. The, the three famous dystopian novels, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451, and 1984. But uh, we discussed a couple of short stories, Harrison Bergeron, for example, where it's in a dystopia. It's somewhat, dis somewhat alarming that every a lot of what's going on today is uh, reminiscent of every dystopian novel I've ever read. The story does not have to include every single element of science fiction to be considered science fiction, as you know. So here we go. A nice little lesson plan here. I'm just going to put it in the show notes. But it involves citing textual evidence to support analysis. Duh. <laughs> like, you didn't know that was coming, right? It helped you determine and analyze the story's theme. And, of course, you're going to acquire some uh, academic words. And let me give you a, let me give you some example. So, as with uh, the previous lesson plan, this involves a chart. So, even if you don't want to, let's say you're anti-download because you're afraid of technology now because of this podcast. You can just write, you can just do the old famous two-column chart on the board. So, I'm going to give you an example of each of these elements of science fiction. Just to kind of get you get you started. So science and technology, we have a scene from the Velt. We have, I'm gonna read you. So this is the this is the I'm gonna read this quote word for word. Walls, Lydia, remember, crystal walls, that's all they are. Oh, they look real, I must admit. Africa in your parlor, but it's all dimensional, super reactionary, super sensitive color film, and mental tape film behind glass screens. It's all odorophonics and sonics. That's an example of of science and technology in the Velt, virtual reality. My commentary on that, I'm going to read it word for word as I put it in the actual lesson plan. Example. Modern day readers recognize the children's nursery as a virtual reality parlor, something which was unheard of when the story was written. Although the nursery no longer seems an impossibility to modern readers, it's still advanced technology. But as this technology made the Hadleys happier. One of the primary tenets of science fiction is, what is the end of all this technology? What is its purpose? And in a lot of these stories, we see that the, the, the technology hasn't made the people in the stories any happier. And there are studies uh, today that show that despite all of the technology we have, and it's wonderful, I am not a Luddite. I'm not anti-technology. I have a smartphone in my pocket. I'm, I'm, I'm recording a podcast seriously in my, in my house right now. So I, I love technology, but can technology be a problem? Are there times in my life where I become so reliant on technology that I lose touch with what the technology's for? I'll let you know I gotta, you know, I'll let you know next time I play Retro Bowl on my phone for hours, just how that technology's working out for me. Discussion is a good thing to discuss with your class. Okay, alternative world setting. We have in All Summer in a Day, the setting is Venus. That's obviously an alternative world. But even though it's on Venus, it brings up an issue that we can relate to. Non-human characters, and they're made out of meat. The two main characters are aliens. We talked about that story. Allegory and symbolism. Rappuccini's daughter has a garden with a perfect woman who's corrupted by a male outsider. Or even if you're not a biblical scholar, we can probably figure out what that what that's an allegory of. The journey in A Sound of Thunder. Dude journeys back several million years to hunt dinosaurs. That's a pretty big journey, right? Bradbury throws a twist instead of... I guess it's a journey of self-discovery. But he's certainly... If, if uh, Eccles is on the hero's journey... It fails miserably, so Bradbury turns a hero's journey on his head with the actual journey. Because maybe it's, maybe it's because he stepped off the path. Maybe there's some symbolic. He stepped off the path and his life was ruined. Maybe whatever path we're supposed to be on, we need to stay on it. I don't know. I'm getting all literary up in this mug. And dystopia. 
Harrison Bergeron is set in a dystopian future where government controls everything, even the way you think. There you go. So there's examples of all the elements of science fiction. This lesson plan, just 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 go to the show notes. Why make your life difficult? I mean, you could like transcribe this, or you could listen to it over and over and over. I mean, go ahead if you want. I'm gonna be honest with you. I have more fun preparing and doing this podcast than the other ones. It may not have come out, but preparing this, I, I love these stories. Your students will love these stories. Even the ones who say they don't like science fiction like science fiction. Science fiction has that reputation of being for the nerds. So a lot of the quote-unquote cool kids will say, <laughs> like the ones who say they don't like Harry Potter, but have read the books like four times. Raise your hand. I'm only raising my hand right now. Okay. Takeaways. Takeaway number one, science fiction isn't just for nerds. You will get a higher percentage of students who enjoy science fiction short stories than just about any other type. So go ahead. It's okay to read stories students like. I know, it sounds crazy, huh? Takeaway number two, what makes good science fiction stories so good is their ability to connect, to connect with readers despite the futuristic setting and characters. Science fiction comments on problems we face today, even though the settings and characters are a little different. And takeaway number three, teaching the elements of science fiction will make teaching many of the elements of literature easy or no longer necessary. You hit theme, you hit characterization, you hit irony in a lot of these. Imagery, symbolism, especially symbolism. If you found this episode useful or if you enjoyed it, give me a like and a review. I'd really appreciate it. It'll help other ELA teachers find it. And we're on the same team here. And if you didn't find anything useful and you think I'm annoying, please don't leave a review. But come back and listen to the next one. I'll do better. Thanks for listening to the Teaching ELA Podcast. For more teacher-ready, student-ready lesson plans, head on over to ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com. That's ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com, where we have hundreds of lesson plans and handouts that are ready to use right now. And as always, if this podcast has helped you thrive in the classroom, we'd appreciate a like and a review. 